Welcome to another episode of Tell Me More. Today, Dr. Wiles and I, sadly, Katie is out. Uh, we're discussing heaven and what it's like and what it's about. Uh, it's a great conversation. Um, we hope that you enjoy it. We hope that it's compelling for you as you think about how you share ultimately what is some of the best news ever with the people in your life. Welcome to Tell Me More. Sadly, we are missing Katie Reed Hodges today, but <laughs> Dr. Wiles and I are here, and uh, we're here to talk about heaven. Mm-hmm. And I jokingly sang, and I won't sing for you because I won't subject your ears to that, but ooh, heaven is a place on earth, place or on at earth. least it's going to be. <laughs> it will be at some point, right? <clears throat> um, but I thought it was a great sermon. Well, thank you. You know, I, I, as I said Sunday morning, and we were just talking about briefly here, there's just what what do you say? Misconceptions, um, um, just medieval imagination. Uh, what is it about heaven and There's hell? There's just a lot of <laughs> you know, the, misconception, yeah. cultural baggage yeah, it's interesting, to it? sift through to get to what the Bible really talks about. And what the Bible really talks about is actually, I think, super compelling. Yes, I um, agree. I agree. But that whole idea of the you know, are we going to be, I mean, I still get asked questions like, so are we going to become angels in heaven? Mm -hmm. The answer is no. Yeah. I mean, it's so, or or the, you know, the far side cartoon of the guy sitting on the cloud. I wish I'd bought a magazine. Like there's just nothing to do in heaven or that heaven's one big worship service. And there's nothing wrong with worship. Oh my gosh, we're going to be in the presence of God. There will be worship. I mean, when you read the book of Revelation and you got, 24 elders around the throne of God. Well, <laughs> of course, but there's so much more to it. And to me, that that's the picture that's painted in the Scripture. And I'll, I'll even confess myself that when I was younger, I really didn't give it that much thought. I just wanted to go to heaven because I just— That's where you're supposed to be. Yeah, I want to be with God. And I knew I didn't want to go to hell. And so—but I didn't give a whole lot of thought to it and didn't preach on it that much. And uh, so some of that's on me. Um, so I'm glad that this conversation about eternity has opened the door, you know, to have this conversation. I mean, like even the little quote that I read Sunday morning, you know, from Huckleberry Finn about, well, is Tom Sawyer going to be there? And, and and she said, well, not by a considerable sight. And Huck Finn goes, <laughs> well, then good, you know, because I want him and me to be together, however you put it. Well, you know, it's it, that's Mark Twain poking, I don't know, poking fun, but I mean, speaking to what he perceived to be the hypocrisy of the church in those days and mm-hmm. uh, and that, that it, there really wasn't anything to look forward to, you know. And so um, I'm, I just think that it's – that we need to paint that compelling picture, yeah. I think. I think too often heaven has been painted as this sterile, boring, mm-hmm. nothing bad yeah. is ever going to happen to you, which is true. Nothing bad will happen to you in yeah. heaven, but mm-hmm. life will continue and adventure will continue. Yeah. You, yeah quoted just a tiny bit of C.S. Lewis, and the bit you quoted comes from the end of his last book in the Chronicles of Narnia, The right. Last Battle. Yeah. And I thought I'd read the full Yes, the full quote. quote's better than what I said. Um, because it's worth sharing. So context, if you haven't read the Chronicles of Narnia. Please do so. Great before, literature. Before next Sunday, but go ahead. Great literature. I'm actually reading <laughs> The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to our oldest right now. Oh She's goodness. loving it. Yeah, I love it. It's so great to share it with her. Um, but The Last Battle, basically, it's C.S. Lewis's kind of fictional take on Revelation, but set in Narnia, if you will. 
And at the very end of the book, uh, the main characters that you would have remembered from like the last from the line, the witch in the wardrobe, Peter, Edmund, Lucy, the other children who come in through the series. Uh, it turns out they have been in a railway accident and they've woken up in the new Narnia. Just to give you a taste of where C.S. Lewis is going, it's <laughs> the new Narnia, not just heaven, but they're in the new Narnia. And so uh, Aslan, the Jesus figure, is with them. But this is what C.S. Lewis tells us at the end of the story. He says, the things that began to happen to them after that, after they've woken up in the new Narnia, were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, meaning the Chronicles of Narnia. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. <laughs> is that not awesome? And that is awesome. And I think <laughs> that is probably the truest and best artistic depiction of heaven that I've ever come across. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you, C.S. Lewis. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Life yeah, really only that. begins in heaven. That's right. That's exactly right. I mean, you think about in, in the image and imagery of Revelation 21 of heaven and earth merging together. Um, it's just this incredible future, and the idea that we will have um, we'll have connection to heaven. I guess that's really what I wanted to paint Sunday morning. That it's not like it's going to be something that you don't have any recognition of. There's going to be enough to recognize. But it's just never been written before. That's the beautiful thing, as Lewis points out. It's, it's, it, we've never lived it. We've never experienced it. As a matter of fact, Cindy and I were talking about it uh, Sunday afternoon, and she said the only not problem that she has with it all is just that when you talk about it, she feels like you just reduce it, you know, because you're trying to explain it. It's kind of like when um, with the when we the very first time years ago when the the first movie came out, at least that I remember of the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Mm-hmm. Josiah is an avid reader, and when he was a little boy, avid reader. In fact, he had a buddy of his, and um, we uh, they were in the car with me. I went to the airport to pick up Calvin Miller. Calvin Miller was coming to preach at our church back then, years ago. And so Josiah's buddy Paul was in the back seat. Well, Paul and Josiah in the car on the way to the airport were having a debate over who's the better writer, Tolkien or Lewis. Mm. And so classic these, to these two boys, you know, so when I picked Calvin Miller up, we're getting in the car and Calvin just said, you know, greeted the boys and we're just talking and, and, and Calvin just said, well, tell me something about you boys. And I, and I knew, of course, I know Calvin. And I just said, um, well, actually, they were having a debate on the way here. And he said, oh, really? I said, yeah, but who's the best writer, Tolkien or C.S. Lewis? And Calvin Miller was just so pumped to have these two <laughs> young men in the back of the car. And he was like, oh, my goodness. So they started talking. Well, then. So we talked about, we took Josiah to the movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and mm-hmm. he hated it. Mm-hmm. And he said, and we, we got out of the movie, and we were, I mean, I was pretty pumped about it. I thought, man, this is, they did a good job. They did a good job, whatever. We get in the car, and I was, so we were like, Josiah, what do you think? And he was like, it was terrible. What, what do you mean it was terrible? I mean, this is, this is a great story. <laughs> this is C.S. Lewis come to life. And he said, the lion was pitiful. He said, Dad, in my imagination, man, Aslan is this giant. You know, he he started painting this picture, and he said, "I can't even I can't even describe him to you." And and Narnia is, they just they just did they just did such a bad job in the movie. So it was like him reading the book. 
he was able to paint this thing in his imagination that was so much better than what could be mm-hmm. captured. And I, that's kind of what I heard from Cindy Sunday. She said, honey, I thought it was a good sermon, but I mean, you know, you didn't really describe heaven. I mean, you, 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 in, her, in other words, she was trying to tell me, you, you said some things about it, but she said, in my mind, it's so much better than what you talked about, which I thought, instead of being insulted, I took that positively, like, well, you know, you're right. Of course. I mean, I just— I'm I've never been there. Yeah. And so I'm trying to describe something that I see, but praise God, it's going to be greater, bigger, yeah. better, more, um, just more compelling than than what I was even able to paint. And I think I think John even feels that, you know, when he tries right. to draw it out for us, you know, he, he shares at least what he can connect to. But I just like the idea— I remember, you know, I can remember when I was a kid, we had some some preacher come to our church as a little boy, and I don't remember who it was, but I remember him talking about heaven and earth collapsing, and my dad had the biggest problem with that, you know, because even, because daddy felt like Revelation 21 was just kind of imagery, it's not really what's going mm-hmm. to happen, person, if I can say it that way, because this guy said, yeah, heaven's going to be on earth, and I remember we, we got in the car to go home that night, and my dad was like, heaven is not going to be on earth, boys, so don't go... <laughs> I don't know what this guy's thinking about. Well, because <laughs> in my dad's mind, heaven, you couldn't put earth in any way in heaven, you know, to him. This earth is broken, faulty. And I understand where my dad was coming from. But but the idea mm-hmm. of the new earth, the yeah. new heaven converging, that really captures my imagination as much as anything. Well, it you know? parallels our resurrection. Yeah, that's what I think. Get your so. resurrected bodies. And then you've got a resurrected place to live in. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know that it's accurate to say that the earth will resurrect. Yeah, but right. It's it's a parallel line of thinking. Right. This earth, just like our bodies are a shadow of our resurrected bodies, mm-hmm. this earth is a shadow of the new earth. Right. Whatever yeah. this new earth is, and if if Eden was, you know, I do have people ask me sometimes. So where is Eden? Well, you know, I mean, geographically, perhaps. We would say Mesopotamia, you know, right? But, but in reality, I think it's been taken to a whole nother dimension. It's hidden from us, you know, right. and so we just can't experience it yet. But the fact that it's going to be reestablished in a in a brand new way, and the tree of life reemerges, and uh, just that that picture of God being present, you know, there's no need for a temple. There was mm-hmm. no need for a temple then, you know. Right. God's walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Why, why would you need a temple, you know? So mm-hmm. um, I love that. And, I'm, and I think that painting that picture for our people um, is powerful for them, you know, because I want, I want us to have a compelling image of heaven and a compelling story to tell and to share. And I think people— Lost people are drawn to it. Lost people know the world's broken. You don't have to. No one has to be convinced of this. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to argue with anybody. They know it. They look at the world, and it's just they don't have an answer for it. Yeah. You know? And we do. And so, yeah, I just I just think that we need more conversation about heaven and and more thought given to what it really is, you know? Yeah. So. So as you think about heaven, I think Scripture provides a lot of images, both in the Old and New Testament, about the world to come. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What are some of those images that dominate yeah. your mind that you well, think are particularly compelling? Yeah, you know, you know when you—so, like, for example, when you look and you talk about streets of gold, okay? I've never gotten too excited about streets yeah, paved with gold, yeah, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I guess the way I look at that is— 
what I think I'm hearing is you look at something like gold being so valuable and that it's it's like you would kill for it. You know, mm-hmm. you you it, there's something here about it. And in heaven, it's like asphalt. I mean, in heaven, it's just <laughs> it's it's not even valuable enough to value anymore. That, <laughs> so it's not to me necessarily. I think that the streets are literally paved with gold. What I think God's what this message is is that the things that we value on earth are just trivial. Just, yeah, minuscule compared to what it's really going to be like. And so that's that's one thing for me. I, I will have to say when I'm when I read Isaiah six. That idea of God, you know, being high and lifted up and just mm. having this glimpse of actually who God really is, that's really powerful for me. That's always been compelling to me. I've always wanted to believe that at some point we're going to actually have that glimpse of actually seeing who God really is and seeing Him in His glory. And um, I think that's the the breathtaking, awe-inspiring uh, image that I have that I almost feel like that's the first thing you see. Okay, y'all, this is where you really are. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're in this place. I, I think that's where it starts. And so my first thought of heaven is God enthroned just, just majestically and, and somehow communicated to me eternally. And that that will just be my first awe inspiring, overwhelming, um, experience. I also think that, um, you know, even it's it's an interesting phrase, but the idea of being gathered to your fathers, you know, kind of the the Sheol comments, I guess. Mm-hmm. There's even something about that to me that that the people that we're really connected to, that that's where they all are. You know, so right. why wouldn't I want to be there? There are no dead saints. <laughs> yeah, why wouldn't I want to be there? I mean, these are the people of God, the people that have m- made us who we are. I just think that's going to be fascinating, and and you know, the older I've gotten, I think too, I've I've thought about so so when you're in those relationships, what is that going to look like? And I guess I I see it as as just a forever curiosity, constantly being acknowledged and answered somehow. I guess that's part of it to me that the learning and growing with other people who are in heaven with us. Uh, I, in other words, on the one hand, when it says when we see him, we'll be like him. I think that's a statement more about we'll be finally outfitted for eternity. It's kind of how I see that. Mm-hmm. When Paul says we see through a glass dimly, then we'll see fully. I think that there'll be a lot of aha. We'll know even yeah. as we are fully known. Yeah, all of that. But I think we won't be uh, we won't be God. So no. there's still a lot for us to learn and to know and to experience. And uh, I think there's narratives to be told. And um, yeah, I just I just see so many. I, I guess I just feel like there are so many things that are just going to be connected for us in heaven that it's going to be an ongoing conversation and experience. That's why I like that image from C.S. Lewis. Well, the next chapter is even better than this one. You, know, you think, mm-hmm. how can it be any better? Well, actually, this next one, what do you see this next one? That's how I view heaven. So right. We worship an infinite God, yeah. which I think is worth thinking about when it comes mm-hmm. to heaven. I mean, we are not going to run out of things to do That's right. or learn. That's there is right. always going to be more, and even borrowing from modern physics, we live in an infinite universe. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the things that physics has discovered. So we will live eternally with an infinite God mm-hmm. and an ever-expansive mm-hmm. cosmos. Yeah. And I don't know what that fully means for us, mm-hmm. but it's, I mean, we're not going to run out of things yeah, to do. What an invite, though, and the, and the fact that the I think another thing that that is 
powerful image for me or just truth is when it when the text says, okay, he's gonna wipe away your tears. I don't I don't know if that means, okay, is there is there going to be um something that we cry over? I'm not sure. But then there's no more crying and there's no more mourning. There's no more death. There's no more pain. And I think about the as a pastor, the things I have walked through with people. Mm. You know, the brokenness I've seen, the hurt, the pain, the abuse, all of those things that just are constant reminders of just how out of sorts we are, that that will no longer be, you know? Right. And I just, I really can't even imagine that. I can't imagine a world where where that's just all been removed. And uh, so that's that's something that I'm drawn to also. To be honest with you, I'm drawn to it for others, maybe even more so than myself, mm-hmm. just because I've seen people go through so much. And I think, man, I wonder what it's going to be like for so-and-so because she's been through so much in this world. And my goodness, when she gets to heaven, all of that's going to be redeemed, you know, and, and that, that's not going to, it's not going to happen to that family anymore. So I have an excitement in my heart for others to see what they're going to experience that maybe they've never tasted here on this earth, you know? Right. I mean, when I was in years ago, I was in, I was in um, East Asia and uh, we had a, <clears throat> a group of pastors that uh, came together for a meeting, and they asked me to to lead a week long Bible study. There were, I think, there were five of them, and they were all former Muslims, all converted to Christ. And I uh, had, um, uh, and actually, we met on the compound of a Hindu priest who was a friend with the missionary there, and he allowed us to meet there. <laughs> and so it was kind of fascinating. And and on his property, he had the Muslim school for the community. So. Um, Asia's a fascinating, it's a place, fascinating place. And so, uh, so every day at the end of the day, you get this Quranic teacher walking home. You got a Hindu priest coming in for his family, and you got me there with pastors teaching them the Bible. So they wanted to study First Peter for whatever reason, and really because I think it's a word about suffering. Anyway, so the very first day we get there, and my translator, the missionary's there, and we've got a translator. So I sit down with these guys. Well, the first thing that struck me was they're all holding. William Carey's translation of the Bible. Mm. So, and here I am, a Baptist historian. I love missions. I mean, I'm, William Carey's one of my heroes. And so I'm sitting there, That's and every, every one of these pastors has William Carey's translation of the Bible in their hand. So I'm, my first thought is, man, shout out to William Carey. Way to go, dude. You know, mm-hmm. so anyway, so then I asked them to introduce themselves to me. And I was pastoring in Alabama at the time. And uh, so the first guy tells a little bit of his story. So the translator's kind of translating it and tells me about becoming a Christian and then how he was persecuted in his village. He then pulls it. They're wearing these kind of loose-fitting, I forgot what they're called, not shirts, but whatever they're called. He pulls it up, and he shows me where he was brought in front of the village, and one of the village elders just started burning him on his back mm-hmm. until he would recant. And finally, the guy realized he's not going to do it, so they gave up. So he's got all these all these scars on his back from being burned mm. go to the next one and has a very similar story except for they whipped him they didn't burn him so he pulls his shirt up to show me so he's got all these scarred stripes on his back every one of them had been persecuted you know for their faith and you know luke i was sitting there thinking surely it's cost me to surely i can come up with a story you know what well, okay what did what's happened to me and I had, I had nothing no and so then they all sit down and they look at me and the translator says now they want you to teach first peter how do you do that <laughs> i'm thinking why don't y'all talk and let me just sit here you know but anyway 
So before I did, they said, but before you do, will you tell them about your church? Mm. And I said, okay. And so I said, well, actually, the church I pastor is in Alabama. And they, they, I said, it's in, it's in a place called the United States. Uh, only one of them had ever heard of the United States of America. They, they knew I was a white man, mm-hmm. but they had no idea, you know, where I lived. So we talked a little bit about that. And then I told them that I, I was a pastor. Well, they all connected to that. And I said, I, I have a church. And I said, our, but our church actually has a building. Well, they were fascinated by that. They were like, so like a building that, you know, that's yours. And I was like, yes. And they were like, well, did the government give it to you? No, the government didn't give it to you. Well, how did you get it? Well, you know, actually where we live, you can build churches. And man, they were just, they were like, so you can build your own church. How do so, and, and nobody comes and bothers you, you know? No, they don't. Then they said, well, 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 when do you meet? And I said, well, we meet on, on Sunday. And they were like, oh, well, we want to meet on Sunday too. We know that's the day Jesus was raised from the dead, but we have to meet on Friday, you know, here. We, we, we have the to, day off. Yeah, we have to work on Sunday. And what's it like? So how, do you get, how does everybody take off work to come to church? And I was like, well, anyway. And then they said, well, how many, how many people come? Well, at the time, our church was running about 11, 1,200 in worship at, in Alabama. And I said, well, we have about 1,200. They didn't think there were 1,200 Christians in the world, mm. much less 1,200 believers in one church. They could not. They just could not believe it. And so we started talking, and I finally I said, y'all, you know that as Christians, you're, you're a part of the biggest religious group in the world. And man, when I said that to them, they just started talking to each other. And the translator finally told me, he said, I'm sorry, they're— they don't believe you <laughs> because they're so outnumbered here. They just, they, they're trying to figure out before you even teach the Bible, can they trust you? And so I was telling him and, and I said, and then one day we're all going to go to heaven. We start having this conversation about heaven before we ever get to first Peter. And these men were just, I, I mean, it's one of the most powerful conversations. It was a week long. This was day one, mm-hmm. but I, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Cause I was sitting here looking at a group of men who heaven even even a church in freedom sounded so far-fetched to them. And to think about being in heaven and their families not being persecuted and God providing in a great banquet feast. And we talked about how, you know, Jesus said he's going to, you know, he's not going to drink this again until he drinks it with us anew in his kingdom. And and they were all talking about how, you know, they're not used to eating until they get full. They're not used to having open celebrations. They're not used to being able to just be upfront with everything. And they were just like, how can this be, you know? And mm. and I was like, oh, my goodness. So I'm excited for people like that, I mean, mm-hmm. who've lived their lives faithful to God in really hard places. And can you imagine what it's going to be like for them? And when Jesus says, my Father's house are many rooms, I think they get a bunch of rooms, you know? <laughs> I think so, too. And so um, that excites me when I think about what heaven is going to be like and for all of us to get to enjoy it with people like that, you know, who who paid a price for it, you know? And so, uh, so yeah, I, I can get pretty excited about it when I think about what all that really means for, and the fact that it's forever, you know? Mm-hmm. And, 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 the contrast to me of what we talked about last week of hell, and I just had this this image in my mind of in hell, you just you just like every day you're just further and further away from from what really matters, you know, and what's really hopeful and what's really good and life giving and flourishing. And so, yeah, that that's why I want our folks to have a compelling 
understanding and a compelling story mm-hmm. to tell about heaven, you know? So yeah. so, yeah. I think it's, I think it's important. Yeah. So as you, how do you, how do you share this? <laughs> I know. I, I think that, um, you know, if, if you think about, um, I, I guess what I'd say is you got to think about ways to connect it. And that's why I think Revelation 21 is so cool because I think lost people, Americans, I don't know, the people that we live with, I think they have a mistaken perception about heaven, this kind of ethereal, disembodied. Oh, when I was a youth minister, most of my youth group told me, I don't want to go to heaven. Yeah. (laughs) So to me, that's the way to connect it is to say to people, can think about your greatest day on this earth. Think about your, man, your most productive day. And man, that is, multiply that exponentially. And you might get close to what heaven's really going to be like, mm-hmm. you know, or the, the day where you, you felt like maybe you, you accomplished something, you conquered something, you understood something maybe for the first time. Well, think about how much learning we've got to do in heaven. There's so much to know and to learn and to grow. The best and, dinner uh, party you've ever been yes, to. Yes, and relationships. And um, so to me, that's the way I, I, I know it would sound weird, but I actually think that picture in Revelation is a, is a great evangelistic tool. Because I know Revelation sometimes feels like this is a book that's written for the Christians of the first century, and we can't even read it today because we have no idea what it's about. I just don't think that's true. No. We've got a beautiful picture here of what heaven's going to be like and the restoration of, of everything that's broken and the reemergence, whatever you want to call it, pick your word, of the Garden of Eden, really. I think that's a compelling story to lost people, you know, where mm-hmm. things are going to be made right. Don't you want things to be made right? You know, it's kind of like what we talked about last week a little bit, how people have a sense of justice. They think things are supposed to be made right. Well, guess what? They will be. They will be, you know, and, and this, is, this is what Jesus came to do, you know, to make things right. So I think that's part of what we share with people and, and the fact that there's only one path to get there. That, that's, the, that's the challenging part. You know, but that is what Jesus said. And so But it's a path that's for everybody. Yeah, it is. And 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 he's made it available to everybody. So so yeah, I'm I think we have a great story to share, Luke. And I mean, you know that I mean as a missiologist, you think about when we are, are studying other cultures and finding points of connection, people are interested in eternity. They just they are. are. <laughs> you know. And so I think every religion is plagued by the question of what happens when you die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. And does this life matter? You know, uh, I was talking with one of our young people this week, and they were telling me about a friend of theirs whose family, they've talked about this. And they, um, their answer to this uh, young person from our church was, well, no, we, we know you believe in God and all that, but we believe in science. And so when this person asked me about it, I said, so what did you say? And she said, well, I didn't know what to say. They believe in science. So, And I said, okay. I said, well, let's think about that. So what does that mean? You believe in science. That we believe in science, right? <laughs> but is that the ultimate reality? And and she just said, "Well, I don't know." But that's just what they told me. I said, "Okay. Well, the good news is you can have other conversations with them. So this is a great thing to explore." So what do you mean by that? So what does science offer you? And 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 so if there's no eternal, transcendent reality, then what difference does this life make? What difference does it make what you do? Why would you ever choose to do anything right? Mm-hmm. Who would care if nothing really matters? And she just said, well, I hadn't thought about that. I said, okay, well, let's spend some time thinking about that. 
So I think we have a compelling story to tell. Eternity is compelling. It is. And people have questions about it. So um, it's almost like conversation, spiritual conversations can be had around that. What do you think about it? Yeah. You know, and genuinely listen to what people think. Because I think people have views about eternity, about heaven. And they may not call it heaven, but life after death, maybe. Yes. I think everyone's best evangelistic tool is a healthy sense of curiosity about other people. It's mm. a great way to put it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So, so yeah, I'm, I, I love to think about heaven. I want to do probably a more faithful, better job of preaching about it on into the future, you know, to just remind us, this is really where we're headed. And so it, it matters how we live and how we share it, you know, so. Absolutely. Yeah, I love it. It's a hope that pulls us forward. I feel like it is. So to conclude, I want to give you rapid fire questions. Okay. <laughs> just yes or no. Okay. Will this be in heaven? Yes or no? Okay. Or will we be this? Will we be angels? No. Will we eat food? Yes. Will there be marriage? Not like we know it today. <laughs> will we work? Yes. Will dogs be there? Yes. Will cats be there? <laughs> I don't know about that one. <laughs> Do sorry. all the, sorry, you cat people. Does universalism apply to dogs? <laughs> uh, let me think about that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure Dobermans are going to be there, but I don't know. Because, <laughs> you know, when you think about paradise, yes. that's the image that's used. And that Persian word was used to refer to walled gardens mm -hmm. where animals and lived. And so I'd like to point out that Middle Easterners are famously cat people. <laughs> yeah, okay, go ahead. <laughs> so maybe there'll be a section in heaven, <laughs> maybe for cats. I'm thinking it's going to be way, way, way out yonder somewhere. But uh, there'll be tigers for sure. But oh, I don't, yeah. I don't know about cats. <laughs> uh, oh. But yes, we'll eat food. Jesus ate. Yes. So absolutely. I think we're going to eat good food. It's going to be the best food yeah. from all over the world. That's what I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think we'll recognize there's enough to recognize. That's yeah. what I'd say. I think heaven will be recognizable, but will continually amaze us. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. I agree. Yeah. I'd say amen. I, th it's, I think, and I don't remember who re I read this in or if I'm just making it up. So someone knows where this is from. Please yeah. give them credit. Right. But it's like all our lives, we've just seen a picture of the Grand Canyon. And that's what life here and now is like. You've mm -hmm. seen a picture of the Grand Canyon. Mm -hmm. But one day we're going to wake up and we're going to see the real thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it just blows you away. Yeah. The picture can't do it justice. That's right. That's the analogy here, I think. You're going to recognize it because you've seen a picture, mm -hmm. but you haven't seen the real thing. I would agree. I'd say amen to that, brother. So, well, thank you for joining us for Tell Me More. That's right. Katie, amen. we missed you. We missed Katie. Thanks for listening to the Tell Me More podcast today. You can subscribe to this podcast on your app of choice, or you can visit us at fbca.org to find out more information about the podcast and our church. Thanks for listening. Have a good day.